Welcome back to Aria Parents Proud of You. I'm your host, Matthew Schufreder, and we're going to get right to it because we have a really exciting guest today. Uh, we have Elizabeth Swanson. If that name sounds familiar, uh, they, it was hot off the presses back in January that uh, they were the new... Uh, artistic director for Boho Theater. So as soon as I heard that news, I immediately messaged them and wanted to talk to them. So we recorded this conversation back in February, and let me tell you, they are a delight to talk to. We talk about uh, cabaret, we talk about Texas, we talk about plants and college, um, and so many other great things. Um, So please enjoy my conversation with Elizabeth Swanson. All right. Hello, Elizabeth. Hi, Matt. How are you? Good. How about you? I'm good. I'm good. Good. Thank you so much for doing this. Yeah, it's my pleasure. Thank you for asking me. Yeah, well, I had to ask you because I asked you back in January, and we're recording this in February, um, and th- this came off the heels, uh, mm-hmm. off the, the press, and I'm sure you've heard congratulations multiple times in the past month or so, uh, but once again, congratulations uh, for being the new Artistic Director of Boho. Um, it's been over a month. Have you had time to sort of wind down from all the, from the huge news and sort of like look back and now look before of how we, how are you feeling now? Let's start there. You know, I got, I was it extended an offer slightly before December. And so my first working day with Boho was actually December 1st. Okay. Um, and I was really lucky because, uh, the company, in, in their wisdom, uh, I should say uh, Sana and Stephen's wisdom, they uh, had Stephen on payroll for one more month. And so it was sort of a transition month where I got to onboard and ask him all the questions. And he was gracious enough to, you know, kindly hear them and, and give really intelligent replies. So I feel like there was a training month there and then the gear up to the announcement month. Uh, which was also the month where we started setting priorities for the year and thinking about production schedule and having meetings with all the company members. Um, so February is just now starting to feel like, okay, this is the gig. This is, I think I'm starting to understand what the, uh, what the assignment is. Right. And how does it feel? Have you been an artistic director before? And is it everything that you ever wanted to be? When I, yeah. <laughs> Some people want to grow up in castles and I want to no, um <laughs> I actually never wanted to be an artistic director. Um, Two directors that I really looked up to in grad school uh, were both freelance directors and neither of them was, one of them was an artistic director of a company for kind of financial, here's how we're applying for funds consolidated. But, you know, the the emphasis was on the freelance gigs. And that's the life I romanticized. That's the, you know, that's what was exciting to me when I was considering this career in my early 20s and I thought that I'd travel around places which I hope to still and I'd right. you know go from gig to gig and form different relationships with different theaters so I never thought that I was going to be an artistic director and when people told me that um you know because people enjoy kind of being the kingmaker and saying yep. you know you're going to be an artistic director someday after you know some conversation we'd had and I'd always say I Maybe that's not. Like, that's, <laughs> like when, that's like when you're younger and you're, and you're like in the high school and the grandparents go, you better thank me when you win that Oscar one day. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's exactly right. Or uh, when you talk about not wanting children and the other person is just almost duty bound to say, just wait. Just wait. It's going to happen. That's great. Mm-hmm. And I ha- I'm, you're, you went to my alma, well, not went to, you directed at my 
alma mater this past week or past couple months. You did Columbia, yes. Columbia Cabaret. Uh, congratulations on that run. Um, how, you know, college students, how are they? Uh, speaking They're doing of, okay. They're, they're okay. The kids are okay. Um, having just been a kid myself in what seems like just like two days ago. Uh, yeah, no, they're, they're doing great. Um, they had a rough time of it. That was a rough run of it. Um, we were scheduled right over uh, Omicron. Yeah. Um, like our rehearsals started right as it was starting to go on the upswing in Chicago. And then our main block of rehearsals in J term in January, when we were very excited for these full day rehearsals and it was going to be fabulous. And I had um, in anticipation quit my day job. Um, also knowing that I was taking the boho um, artistic director role. Right. And we had to cancel we lost them. We lost the rehearsals. And so myself and the creative team had to say, what, when can we go back in the rehearsal room safely and what's achievable in that amount of time? And what we came up with was a, a concert reading, uh, which ended up being a very produced, very fully staged concert reading. Right. And it was kind of a good, it was a fun examination of what, what do you actually need for a musical? Um, but I started reimagining the whole production um, from the original full thing to, I, I kept thinking about Carnegie Hall, how they'll do a concert reading of some show or encores would do something. And I thought, wouldn't it be fabulous if we just made it almost fully realized and just ended everything we could do as well as we can, do you know? Yeah, well, just look at the history of that specific production for Columbia. This has been going on for, I want to say since 2020 for the fall. I had students in my cast who were cast in March of 2020. No way. Um, yep. Um, the, one of the Kit Kat Club dancers was introduced because you know you can make up what your thing is. Right. Elga, Elga's the baby. Yeah. Um, but one of them, um, uh, her name is Bella, uh, Bella Blockshaw. And the way she wanted to be introduced was, uh, you know, I forget her name. I think she might have been Helga actually, but Elga, Elga has been in this production for two years. <laughs> Uh, but it's worth it now. Oh yeah. On the other side of it, I I've had a day off and I've fully slept and, and yeah, no, it's absolutely worth it. No, I was really glad we were able to do a full, a fully realized thing that made internal sense and wasn't just ticking a box. Right. Well, speaking of the box, I want to open up your young childhood in that box. Um, that was a good segue. Um, yeah. Do I have to pay you for this, by the way? Is there like a going rate, a 15 minute hour? Uh, not yet, but we can talk after when we're done. Uh, uh, so, so you grew up in Texas, and what were you like as a child? Precocious. Um, what was I like? Um, quiet. Mm-hmm. Um, probably pretty reserved. Bookish. Um, I volunteered at the library doing God knows what about as early as they'd let me, and yeah, that that kind of kid. Where did it come from? You think? Were you were you were you call it a shyness, or just you were you were in your own little world, and that was okay? I remember. So I uh, I have a group of women who are who are still some of my best friends today, and we all get together whenever we can. And we were part of sort of a girl guides troop, um, and I was the one that was known to always wander off on the path. Mm-hmm. Like if anyone was missing at the end of the day or not accounted for or couldn't keep, to, 
see, uh, couldn't quite keep up with the group. It was definitely me. And I was definitely walking in the opposite direction and I was probably lost. And I was the only one not concerned about that. <laughs> um, yeah, I think they used to call me absent-minded professor, that kind of thing. So I think it might've been an own, your own little world thing. Right. And you know, you, you said libraries and stories. What was about stories that really got to you? Was it the message, the characters? I think I liked the idea of circumstances changing mm. and people coping with those circumstances as they changed mm-hmm. um, and people changing as a result, um, which is hilarious because when I was actually training um, as a director, it took me forever and a day to get drama, like the concept of drama into my head, really? that the main role of the director is to shape drama, things changing to people as it happens. Um, so there was a huge disconnect there for some reason, but that, I mean, that's, that's my end at the end of the day. You want to see someone go on a path and then they're inexorably changed because of it, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, then, Madeline Lincoln was my favorite uh, author as a kid, I remember. Mm-hmm. Uh, very kind of sci-fi, feminist, um, vaguely spiritual. And then what did your parents do? Were they involved in the arts or so? No, my mother was an attorney, uh, is, a, is an attorney. Um, and she was working in the DA's office when I was a kid. Um, and she has lots of stories about me sort of at the jailhouse, um, you know, her bringing me on whatever appointment she was on. And I'd have like a, li- a really sticky, nasty library book. Um, and then later on, she went into private practice. And uh, she uh, now focuses mostly on... Um, probate but used to do uh, real estate and probate and she was dying for me to be an attorney just because or you think it was because the money maker as well no I know exactly why it is uh, she had this sort of um, fantasy image that she pitched to me and my brother Joe all the time that uh, do you remember Boston Legal yeah it was a network tv show and at the end of every episode something would be solved and some hard thing would have been done and the two attorneys would gather on the balcony and they had this fantastic, like, you know, sky, skyscraper, like gothic balcony. And they'd go out with their, like their scotch and their cigars and they'd kind of do this at each other. Yeah. Like just those nods. Like, yeah, we did, we did real work. It was like very Aaron Sorkin-esque. And she was dying to have a private practice that would be Satterwhite. That's her last name, Swanson and Swanson, uh, me and my brother's last names. And that was her entire pitch. We'll get a balcony. Mm-hmm. I'll fund scotch I'll, I'll you know i'll get the nicest scotch it'll always be in house and we'll just we'll have a family firm and it's going to be great mind you this was a dry town this was a dry town at the time oh. but that was that was the pitch <laughs> i'm just getting images of my mom because I, I live on my own now too and my i sometimes don't come home and see my parents for weeks on end and my mom like a couple of weeks ago told me she's like well when are you gonna come home and i said all right you know what i'll call i have nothing friday night I'll come home, order a pizza, and we'll have a great time. And she's and she said, "Great." So I come home Friday night. We order the pizza, and I, she's. And I'm like, "All right, what do you want to do?" Because you you I, you would think at this point, it's like, "All right, I don't see you for a while. What's up?" Uh, well, it's yeah. She then just she was like, "Let's watch some uh, let's watch some Law and Order." I'm like, "All right, love me, love me some Jack McCoy right now." <laughs> We watched a little Jack McCory, but 30 minutes in, she's asleep. And I'm like, good Lord, I came all the way over here. I had some free pizza. I love that. 
I got my law and order. I can do that when I'm at home, but you're asleep. All right. Well, it's, we could have done this anyway, anyhow, you know. You know, the, that was the bonding, though. You were, she yeah. was sleeping next to her son. I'll take it. That's what, it's the one, you know, it's, I look back and now I'm like, I get it. She's just happy I'm home. But in the moment, I'm like, we, I could have been watching Law and Order in my own home. Uh, yeah. As, as a selfish person, I, I yeah. try not to be. Do you think there's an amount of, if you're under this roof for this amount of time, I know where you are and you're okay? Oh, yeah. Well, I'm the oldest of four. So, and I'm the experiment child. So I, even when I moved, I was, I'm still the, let's see how this works. So if I, you know, if I'm, you know, achieving what I want to do in life, which is shows and jobs and stuff, that's, you, I think I'm doing well, but then my parents are like, are you though? And then, you know, you and then you're like, am I though? Am I? I know. Then, then I hate it when they make you second guess yourself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you drive home and you thought, I thought I was great on the way there. I was, I was, I thought I was great. I, was I thought I had everything I wanted. No, nope. Thanks, mom and dad. Now, now you can iterate your deficiencies right. alphabetically if you want to. <laughs> was your mom really good at reading you? you could, she, was she good at knowing what you want and didn't want? Um, I'll see your question with an anecdote. Go for it. Um, that I very blatantly plan to share anyway because of the title of this podcast. Uh-huh. Um, so... I was a freshman in high school and my mom participated in the carpool, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and once a week she would pick us up and it was the same group of girls from, you know, the the scouts club together. And she'd pick us all up and she had no time for this carpool. I think most of the moms didn't work and she was a single mom working impossible hours, but she, you know, you have to do the carpool. There's no not doing the carpool. Um, or they're saying, I can't do the carpool, which would be worse. Right. And so she picks me up one Friday, let's say, because I think that was her shift. And it's just me standing outside and uh, none of my friends. And so she's driving down Ridge Road with me, um, sort of southbound um, in a town that you don't know, so it doesn't matter. And we're going along. And she said, so where, where are the others? Where, you know, where's Caroline? Where's Morgan? Where's Nancy? And I say, well, they're, you know, they're, they're auditioning for the school play. And she's like, oh, okay. And she's a little bit relieved because that means fewer stops and we're going to get home quicker. Right. And then she thinks about it for a minute. And then she says, well, did you want to audition for the school play? And I had been sitting on this sort of air bubble because I desperately wanted to audition for the school play. Like just more than anything I'd ever wanted in the world, except for like the last time I wanted something, which was probably like every hardbound Harry Potter book or something. And I didn't want to admit it to her because that I, it would have ruined the carpool schedule. And I knew she had absolutely no time to go picking me up late from rehearsals after school every day. Like that was just not within the realm of possibility. So I hadn't even considered auditioning for the play. I, I had gone so far as feeling sorry for myself. And that's kind of what I'd imagined. Right. And I kind of say, well, you know, no, it's okay. Or, you know. Yeah. And then she looks at me closer and she says, Elizabeth, did you, did you want to audition for the school play? And I start crying. Like I just, you know, yeah. dissolve. And she will, takes one look at me and mind you, she's a law abiding Southern Baptist attorney and she does an illegal U-turn 
right in the middle, like like goes two lanes over immediately, does a U-turn and, and takes me back to the school and I auditioned for the school play. And I have no idea how she managed it. And she managed to get me, you know, somehow I got home every night and yeah. she set into her schedule, but I wanted it so badly. And, and she just saw that and she, and she had no way of knowing, you know, that I'm going to grow up to do this for this insane career that we all do. And, and that's yeah. going to be my life. You know, she just saw that I really desperately wanted it. See, I think, I think she reads me pretty well. Do you remember that first show? Yes, it was called Romeo, you idiot, Romeo, comma, you idiot. Um, and it was a play on Romeo and Juliet. And I was cast as extra number seven or something. Okay. And I was brilliant. Did you come up with a nice background story for extra number seven? You know, I did. Oh, you know do you have a name for it? Um, need fruit at the shop, I think was... <laughs> But I had a lot of opinions about what the good fruit was and the bad fruit. Like that, no, that's gone bad. Yeah. 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 I, I, uh, I, did, I, I did like the Adams Family Musical and I was just one of the ancestors and they put me as a soldier and no one else had came with a backstory because uh, I was the only one. I called myself George Washington Steel Flag II and he died by tripping on a rock and then falling on a stick. And I just needed something the most stupid way possible and I followed it like my character only saw with one eye and had a limp the entire time for the show for, for no apparent reason to for anybody else no apparent reason. like the director is like are you okay like is the do we need to like ease the dance moves for you I'm like no I'm I'm fine this is all just a choice <laughs> you made a choice we made a choice I, I love when directors go that was a choice we love a choice. We yeah. love a strong choice. The most gracious director I ever worked with, she was um, uh, Marty Meriden, um, very, very petite um, Canadian woman in, I'd say her late 70s when she was working with me. And she, I was assistant directing and she would look at, you know, a new thing that an actor had done. And instead of saying no, or that was awful, or what were you thinking, or any of the things that you think in your head first, uh, she was like, well, thank you so much for giving me two separate choices. And I think, I think that the first one will be good for now. Thank and you. And that's all <laughs> she wrote. And that was it. That was it. Speaking of choices, so you make the choice, you go to Princeton to study history, minor in theater. I, I, I think about how I like when I went started to college, I didn't major in theater first. I minored in it. I was just so afraid of, you know, all the stories that my senior mm -hmm. friends would tell me of, yeah, you can never make a career in theater or you will be broke. Was that the reason why you went to history? Or was it something else? Um, well, you couldn't, you couldn't major in theater at Princeton. Um, oh, okay. There's no, there's still no theater major. Oh. Um, so there was only a certificate, uh, like a minor, um, available. Now they have a musical theater certificate. And I think I probably would have done that if I'd had, you know, if it had been offered at the time. Right. Um, I liked my history classes. And when it came time to think, you, you write a junior paper to senior thesis. And so when it came time to think about my junior paper, um, I, 
it, that was kind of the, the world I wanted to live in. Um, mind you, it was a junior paper about Chicago theater and then it was a senior thesis about Chicago theater. Um, so I was falling in love with Chicago this whole time, but I, yeah, I, I don't know if I was smart enough to think about how I would make money. And that certainly gave me pause or, or it was the obstacle of my twenties as with, you know, every artist. Right. Um, but I think at the time I remember being glad that they didn't have a major because it meant you had to go get good at something else. You couldn't just live in this bubble of, you know, living out noises off for four years and then coming out knowing a very small canon of plays and musicals instead of kind of a way to assess the world. So I was, I was grateful for it. Um, I, my senior thesis advisor though, I do remember he took me out for a drink after, after the, after the thesis was graded, not before. Um, uh, Daniel Rogers. And he was this sort of giant of like late 20th century American history. And I think he took me on, not because he thought I'd be good at it at all, but just because he thought I'd be a laugh. Like, let's take a theater kid and see how that goes mm -hmm. as I'm winding down my career. And you're probably one of my last undergraduate advisees. And he took me out for that drink and he and his wife had attended like not one, not two, but three full scale productions that year that I directed. And I'm sure the whole time he was thinking, what the fuck are you doing? Like, go write your paper, go write your paper. You didn't make the last deadline. You didn't make the deadline before. Like, <laughs> what is this? But he was so gracious and he came to, to see everything. And so when we were having those drinks, uh, he said to me, and I could tell he'd kind of planned it. And he was like, well, you're real, you know, you should stick to directing. After he'd read, read my hundred page paper, after, you know, he'd seen me through it for two years. And he was like, you should, you should stick with directing. That'd be good. <laughs> That's cool. But was it true that, you know, you, there was a class that you, not to call you out, but you, you failed in because you were so busy directing all the time was it was it biology it yes it was biology I did really well at the labs I did so well at the labs because you had to be there right. that was part of the grade of the lab. The lab. and so I got that and I did show up for those labs and therefore I did well um and but when it came to the actual classes or the actual studying um I was I was sort of in that thrilled burnt out place where I hadn't man I hadn't learned to cope with myself yet with a rehearsal right. schedule kind of that all-consuming nature of directing so I had no off switch and so I was just kind of a little manic for my entire senior year and I was directing merrily we roll along mm. and I wondered no I wasn't I was directing my senior thesis production at, um called Eden it was a device piece um uh with music and I was sort of just drunk on my own, you know, the, the mess I'd made for myself that I was enjoying so thoroughly and so right. out about. And I was, I was wandering around the science area of the campus looking for my, my finals, like where my finals were taking place. And it was, it had been moved from old Frick to new Frick. Those were the titles of the buildings. It was like, it was originally scheduled in old Frick, moved to new Frick and I couldn't find old Frick because I'd spent four years avoiding this whole part of campus. And then I couldn't find new Frick. And I finally found what I thought was new Frick. And I'm at this point, I'm 10 minutes late to the exam that I definitely haven't studied for at all. Mm -hmm. And I wonder to these two nice ladies who are standing in front. I was like, excuse me. Um, excuse me. Sorry to interrupt. Do you happen to know if this is new Frick? Is that new Frick? 
um, yes, why? Well, I'm very, I'm very late to this exam. It's a, it's a, it's a biology exam, and I've got to get to it. It's a new frick. Okay, so this is new frick, and they looked at me kind of strange, and I couldn't figure out why. And they said, yeah, that's new frick. And so I wandered into the, you know, the the whatever the where they were um, giving the exam, and I took my exam, and I was pretty sure I hadn't done great. Um, <laughs> And then at the end of the exam, after we'd all submitted our papers, the TA went and fetched the professors. Okay, the professors want to say goodbye. And so the two women that I'd asked where, if this was old Frick or new Frick outside the building, they came walking in together and stood in front of the class and said, we just wanted to thank you all. This was our first time co-teaching this class. Uh, we'd never worked together as professors. We were really, this was a great experience. And here was me sitting there and I'd so not, I'd so not attended class that I had no idea that that's what my professors, either of them looked like. And, and I remember thinking, you're, you motherfucker, you're going to fail. <laughs> and then I had to take, and then I had to take rocks for jocks in the spring. Wait, that was the title of the class? Well, no, it was called like geology, oh. you know. No, seven or something oh you had me fooled for a second i was like that is the greatest class name of all time i know although stars for stoners was my personal best i said this sounds like the greatest one act play i've ever heard too maybe you should write it uh good night everyone uh as i mean i remember i took botany in my junior year in botany what did you learn uh that botany is about plants and uh, I, the only reason I bring it up is just because I, our, the day of the midterm was the first day I was about to start rehearsals for Eurydice in this one theater. And I was so excited. Like I woke up, went to my two classes, barely studied the night before for this midterm. Uh, and the only thing I remember was it was an open note uh, exam. So I thought, cool, I'm gonna boop, 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 take off, do this, get on out of there just so I can go to rehearsals. Um, I think I was done. I think the test was like the class itself was three hours long. I think I was done in 45 minutes. And oh my God. Cause yeah. you wasted. Oh my God. I thought I had passed with flying colors, not knowing that I had a 76 in the class. It was like <laughs> uh, <laughs> next week director came up, not the director, the uh, professor came up to me and was like, uh, so what are you doing? You, you just rushed the ex- entire exam. The, the, the answers were right there. I'm like, uh, you're, you're probably right, but I had to go play. <laughs> I had to go play a rock. Okay, let me go play you a rock. I had to go play a rock. I had to go play oh. the big stone. So I'm sorry. Oh so, I would have loved to see that exam. When it was just like, that's a plant. That's a plant. That's another plant. Yeah, well, he, you. That's a plant too. Yeah, he were like, ma- like he made us go to. If, you know, the Garfield Park Conservatory for during my spring break to do take pictures of what I saw. Um, oh, Matt, he cared. He yeah. cared, yeah. and you didn't. No, now, now, now. To be fair, as I'm now defending my botany grade, uh, <laughs> I did. I did get a B in the class. I did finish with a B. Oh, see, I can't say that. So okay, so there, there we go. I did my my final was on therapeutic plants. And I decided that was going to be the subject, I think, the night before. And then I know and thought, well, this would be kind of cool. And then just sort of not BS my little speech, but sort of just was like, I had a little outline of like, oh, this would be good. This would be good. I can't give you any 
facts right now. About so what did you, I mean, did you like show up with like self-care succulents for every, like what was the, I think what did I, you do? I, I did a PowerPoint and okay. I, I just found this, I think there's this one conservatory, I think it's Botanic Gardens, don't, and Chicago, don't quote me on that, but I think it had something of how they would do like therapeutic plant sessions for maybe some more of the elderly, people more with signs of dementia and stuff to kind of help cope with the grief that they're going through right now. Um, but I think the, I the only, so I did, I found a couple of videos about that, but I think my opening line was, I, th I said something like, I want to talk about therapeutic plants because I don't know about you guys, therapy is really important. Can I get a hell yeah? And then all of a sudden the entire class yelled, hell yeah. I was like, that was completely unexpected right now. <laughs> I got to be in my class. Is it fair to say that the hell yeah really did some heavy lifting in your grade? I think it did a lot of heavy lifting in life for me. <laughs> sell it. Just sell it. Commit. Right. right. Uh, so completely off way. But I, so, you know, so you acted in high school, but then you directed. What was, was there a shift to that? Did you want to direct more or were you just sort of done with acting at a certain point? Well, I wasn't a, I would, um, I, I always say I wasn't a good actor and then everyone always rushes to, I'm sure you were a great actor. It's like, right. no, I was really average. I was like number 51 on like a line from zero to 100. Um, and that was like college and, you know, high school acting. Um, so I never thought that there was a place for me there because I just didn't have the, the muscles or the, the commitment or the, uh, the connection between mind and physicality. Like I just didn't have that sort of, um, capacity. Right. And so I'd acted mostly in high school and I directed a little bit, little bits and bobs. And I was writing a little bit. And I, I was like president of everything because it was Rockwell, Texas. And that was the drama club. And, and, you know, I was like president of the Thespian Society and I was president of, you know, if there was a leadership role in this very like subgroup of a subgroup of anxious queers, um, I, I, I let it. <laughs> so I came out of high school and I was sort of the shit as much as I would probably ever be the shit again mm -hmm. uh, in my life. And I went straight from like my little molehill mountain of, you know, president of the drama society and the whatever uh, and center stage productions. And then I went straight back to the bottom of the, the pecking order because I was showing up as a freshman and I had a great need to do theater and I wasn't particularly good at anything. And I wasn't particularly well-spoken. And I was also adjusting from like a Texas public school to like, you know, Ivy League expectations about yeah. organization, all those things. So I was kind of just a mess for all of freshman year. Um, but I got some roles. I played, um, I played like all the love interests in uh, Mary Zimmerman's Metamorphosis. And I played like a, a, dan a little dancer and something. And, you know, and I got these little roles and I started getting more male roles as I started uh, getting more into drag and, and drag king sort of stuff. Mm -hmm. And so I would get cast as these kind of pants roles. Um, and I remember thinking none of the student directors ever took care to like define why I was in that role. It was just like, I was there and I was keen and sure. And I, you know, I loved like, you know, binding myself. And that was like a really sensual, exciting thing for young me. And the thought that people just saw me 
in a different way vis-a-vis -vis gender than you know I'd, I'd been presenting. So that was cool, but also the roles were getting smaller. Um, mm -hmm. And I pitched to the Campus Shakespeare Society, um, Princeton Shakespeare Company, um, Henry the Fourth Part One, and I. I, I, you know, they accepted the proposal and that was the first thing I ever directed properly. And I just, it felt like I was like, you know, trying like drinking water out of a fire hydrant all of a sudden. Like I intuitively understood what needed to happen on the stage. I intuitively understood character arcs for like multiple characters and how they needed to intersect. And I understood beats and breaths and all these things that, you know, you're around, so you know, but nobody right. had ever. And I remember thinking like, I don't know if I could be brilliant at this, but I think I could be more than like above average of this. Yeah. And I just felt connected, everything. And, and that's the thing, everything's integrated in directing. You know, it's the visual and the audio and the acting and the design work and the sort of pushing the story forward and letting everything culminate. And I think it was probably just the only thing in my life I'd ever been good at so far. Really? I, yeah. It, it, that was the first time you felt that or that was the first time you someone said that to you not to not make this sound like that honestly someone said that to you yeah well do you know the funny thing nobody really said I did a good job one person did Vince Demira who um worked uh on faculty for music he came and saw one of the previews like the dress rehearsals and he sat next to me and nodded and he said man you understand rhythm and that was the closest thing I got to a compliment for the entire show. I'm sure the show was wonderful. I remember right. it being wonderful. I remember my, my vision being perfect. Um, but like the review was lackluster and, you know, it, it was probably not good. It was probably not the best piece of theater that ever come on campus. Um, but I, I remember thinking, you're good at this. Yeah. And then I applied for more things and I... Um, got better and better. And I think that's the other thing I liked about it. I got better quickly. Like I learned lessons and integrated them quickly, which had not been the experience in any other part of my life. Academically, it's always taken you know, twice. Like if you and I sat for a botany lesson right now, you would understand in 20 minutes what it would take 60 minutes for me to understand. And so it was just the first thing that kind of the, the, the top soil was ready to take the water. Yeah. Right. It just makes me think of that. Maybe it's just in my own head of, you know, someone generally saying, hey, really good job. Just saying that because you're there and probably wasn't great or it was not memorable, as opposed to when no one says anything. But in your in your head, you know, you did a good job, but mm -hmm. no one no one wants to flat out just tell you, oh, yeah, no, that was great. I mean. I imagine there's every reason to believe that maybe that was not the strongest production of Henry the Fourth Part One, right? Ever in the history of college campus productions. But yeah. for me, I you know I looked at the work I did and I, I I thought I understood why I made the cuts I did. I really liked working with the text. I understand why I cast the actors I did. I understand why I reconfigured this, that, and the other. And I made Mistress quickly, quickly, uh, sort of like a stage manager god role, like. You know, I looked and said, there's something there. And I couldn't help myself. That's the real truth. I couldn't help myself. And that, that's the reason we all do it, isn't it? Yeah. Like if we could help ourselves, we'd all go into accounting. And we'd have nice things. Yeah. I mean, I can look at 
my resume and then be like, well, I uh, no, I was not good there, or that wasn't a good production. Or I can look at, oh, I did this, and oh yeah, no, I knew why I did that, and all the intentions I made. Um, mm-hmm. What and in the, that was a good um, production, but yeah. You know, so, so yeah, graduated from Princeton. Then you got. Uh, so now you are in Dublin. Now I'm in Dublin. Yes. Well, hopefully, I, I could be wrong. Uh, <laughs> what? So you finished a history major. What made you want to keep going? Um, I'm trying to think how to tell this story succinctly. So I got very confused my senior year. Um, I didn't know whether I wanted to become a pastor or a theater director. Hmm. And every time I thought about being a theater director, the thing that held me up is that whenever you Googled, you know, circa 2011, 2012, if you Googled how to be a theater director, which I did a number of times, it would come up like, well, move to a small city, probably like a Great Lakes city, and but a small one, and meet a group of people who are equally passionate and pool your money and go start a storefront theater and, and direct as much as you can. And then after you've directed for about 10 years, um, you'll know something. And then once you know something, you can apply to grad school. And then once you apply to grad school, then you'll really know something. And then you'll, you know, that'll be that. And I remember looking at that little essay from probably like Yahoo Answers or something like that. And I remember thinking, I don't know how to, well, make friends with a group of people was probably pretty challenging for me to think about conceptually. But also, I didn't know how I was supposed to go to a city that I'd never been to, pay the fare to get there, and then pay a down payment on an apartment. Right. I just, I didn't know how that amount of money was supposed to accumulate. Like that, that, that was, that was the disconnect for me. And meanwhile, I had people, you know, I'd, I'd won a sermon competition and I was getting more and more involved in my Presbyterian youth group. Hmm. And I thought, well, then I'll go do this. You know, I'm being actively told, like, you'd be great at this and you should go do this. And so I applied to seminary and it took me all of like day zero of seminary, like the orientation day to walk away and say like, oh, I just met a bunch of your earnest young people who were really meant to be here. And I'm definitely not meant to be here. And so I, I, after about six weeks, I dropped out Mm. and I was dating somebody at the time whose visa was running out quite quickly, Mm. Uh, her uh, her American visa. She was a grad student. And so between those two things, I I kind of took stock. Well, I was like depressed for a month and I just watched Pretty Little Liars. And that's like what I did with my, with, you know, a month of my life and let my hair that I just shaved off get stubbly. Um, And then I started learning how to bake bread. Um, But none of this is what you're asking. You're asking. Oh no, this is this is so this is so great to listen to. I'm enjoying (laughs) it. So, I kind of went back to Plan B, which had been like, okay, let's try this other other impossible career, Mm -hmm. um, which is theater directing. Which felt at that point, I felt like such a failure because I quit something, Mm -hmm. and then I'd been the golden child who'd left Rockwell and was supposed to achieve something and you know be do something. Yeah. And I'd already kind of not done something very successfully. So I thought, well, fuck it. I've already failed. Like, let's just, I'll go try that. Mm-hmm. And the only way I could think through 
becoming a theater director because I looked at that again that 10-year plan where you move to a city and you have a down payment for your apartment and I looked and said well I can't do that I, st I still don't know how that works maybe I'll just take out loans and go to grad school maybe I'll just go straight to the part where grad school happens and hope that it's okay and meanwhile my girlfriend at the time and you know we were very serious and I thought you know, that was going to culminate in marriage or, you know, yeah. a lifetime partnership uh, because I was 22 at this point and knew everything. Mm -hmm. And uh, her visa was running out and I started looking at grad schools in the UK. Mm -hmm. And then of all people, Fenton O'Toole, who is like public intellectual number one of Ireland. Um, he's the co-editor of the Irish Times. He's the theater critic. Um, he'd been on a guest lectureship arrangement of some sort uh, with Princeton the year that I was graduating. And I'd taken one of his history classes. Um, it was a history of uh, violence in, in post-colonial Ireland. And I'd loved him and I'd gotten along with him and I thought it was a fascinating class. And he was also teaching a theater criticism course. And so he'd assigned all his students to go see Merrily We Roll Along, which I was directing. Mm -hmm. And then he sussed out that I was the kid who was directing it. And so he invited me to speak to his theater criticism class and come give my thoughts on the critiques that had been written about my show. And so I, and so that meant that he had to see my show so that he could properly grade and assess all his students. And so he went and saw it and, you know, he, he made a point of being really kind and saying, you know, I think you've got something there. And that was really, you know, yeah. Um, I was impressed if you ever need anything from me. And I said, funny, you should ask, like nine months later, have her, uh, after having quit seminary. Hi, Professor O'Toole. Um, I'm thinking about applying to grad schools in the UK because my girlfriend's visa is running out. And I don't know what I'm doing with my life. Do you happen to know any grad schools that you'd recommend for theater directing? And he wrote back and he said, funny, you should ask, um, a place called The Lear at Trinity College Dublin that's um, funded by Aer Lingus and it's just, it's just been going for two years now. They're just about to start uh, directing MFA and I believe it's supposed to start next year. Let me introduce you to the people running the program. Mm -hmm. um, and after that, it was just, you know, um, right place, right time, um, privilege, basically. Mm -hmm. um, Ivy League privilege that got me from point A to point B without probably deserving it entirely. Um, but I got into that inaugural class of, um, of students uh, doing the directing MFA and that's, yeah, and that's how I got to Dublin. What did your mom think about this time for you? Was she proud or was she on board with it? She was very supportive. And I was living with a grad student, a female grad student in sin. Not that I think she entirely thought that way at that point, um, yeah. but it certainly didn't make a good story for, you know, her friends and coworkers. Right. Um, and I think she was just very perplexed and trying to be very supportive. Um, and every time I called her with some other cockeyed plan for myself, she would always get on board no matter how you know, asinine and stupid it sounded. And I think this was in the same vein. Okay. All right. Well, good. Good. I was gonna say, was she trying, did she understand what was going on? You know, you have those parents 
like my parents, like whenever I was in high school, I said, I have to, sh- I have a call time, it's a call time, or we're going to go, or we have to strike. What do you s- strike? What? The um, I think, I mean, she's an attorney. Um, oh yeah, no, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> she, 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 oh she no, no, I don't. Um, I'm trying to think how to, um, she saw a big disconnect and she would continue to see a big disconnect between sort of the fervor of my dream to go do this thing yeah, and my willingness to go into debt with student loans and everything and the amount I would be compensated for any of this. And so I think that was the, but she was, inc- you know, she was incredibly supportive, but there were a lot of kind of careful questions. Okay, well, what's your plan? You know, just very carefully put, like, okay, all right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, very, very loving about it. That's good. And you know, we're we're coming short in time, so I have a few more questions. But you know, looking back, you know, you, we could go on forever of how school then coming to the Chicago. But in the overall summary, how do you think you have changed from Ivy League? Uh, Dublin to now how have you changed over the years Uh, oh god that's a good question I think I have a lot more resilience I used to be very easily bruised Mm -hmm. Um, I think most young adults are Um, and that's proved true as I've started teaching um and I think working in Chicago storefront and making my way and navigating, you know, the rounds of credit card debt that we all acquire yeah. and the and the sort of the eternal hope that that you're going to have this career, that it's all going to work out for you when nobody, you know, there's absolutely no reason to think it's going to work out. Mm-hmm. Um, and just sort of showing up in a city and saying, here I am, boys, here I am, world, you know, like. God, yeah. I hope you need one more theater director in this town um, to go through that. And then years and years of investing and doing, you know, no pay projects and more assistant directing and more. It, it does build an extraordinary amount of resilience that, you know, it's 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 much harder to shake me this these days. Mm-hmm. That's cool. Yeah. Which I think is probably the case for most storefront practitioners that you talk to, I imagine. Oh, I think so. Well, speak of shaking down i'm going to shake down some answers because we're about to play, about to play this new game uh, or, uh time for two pretty simple two minutes on the clock cr- clock i'm going to do this without losing my words uh random icebreaker questions there's no right there's no wrong just oh there's so a right and there's so a wrong <laughs> well, the right is yes, i love cats and the wrong is no i'm allergic to cats i've been on dates before i've been to kopi i've gone on first <laughs> dates at kopi Listen, cat, listen, I'm allergic to cats, so I am going to go with that answer, and uh, <laughs> I hold no regrets, and I regret nothing. All uh, right, all right. I won't right. regret anything to do then. Cool. All right, you ready? Here we go. Three, two, one, go. What is in your fridge right now? Um, the remnant of a like two purple carrot meals that I treated myself to for rehearsal for cabaret that I have not made yet. Now they're just like guilt bags of guilt. Next. Favorite fairy tale. Oh, 
oh oh beauty and the beast but like the the uh the cock version you know with the hands in the walls and all the fantasia yeah uh do, do you still have a myspace page <laughs> probably i'm illiterate technically and i never know when to take something down i think i have a twitter nice uh morning or night person night night left twix or right twix twix like the candy yeah like i think i'm slightly too vegan to eat that i'll have to check though okay great uh do you believe in magic yes do you believe in ghosts yes are you afraid of virginia wolf we ought to be <laughs> what would you do for a colon that, that Mike, i'll say this though mike nichols that biography on mike nichols was fabulous and everyone should read it all right oh, well. it's great uh what would you do for a klondike bar oh so many things i'd be real slutty for a klondike bar i'm not too vegan for that great is there an eye in the sky an eye in the sky like yeah. the e pluribus unum eye like what yeah. kind of eye cool um i mean i'm a practicing christian um i attend mass every sunday at, at uh church of atonement so most of the time most of the time for me there's an eye in the sky uh favorite president lbj alex trebek is the greatest game show host of all time no but that um mormon player who won like 100 million episodes in a row he was the best game show player Alex Trebek didn't know that he was stuck in his game. <laughs> Last one. Uh, uh, how deep is your love? Deep is your love. How deep is your love? Um, not deep enough to remember how the chorus uh, ends. And that's how we play. That's, did I win? Did I win? <laughs> you, you, everyone wins at this game. <laughs> well, what's the point? <laughs> if you have fun, you won. As what I tell my kids. All right, I had fun. Very. See, there we go, uh, Elizabeth. Uh, this has been so much fun. But before we go, my last question to you is: uh, Are your parents proud of you? Oh fuck yes! Oh. My mother would be no less proud of me for having answered that way. That's how proud she is of me. My thanks one more time to Elizabeth Swanson for coming onto the show. Like and follow Boho Theater. They have a lot of exciting projects in the works. And you can also like and follow us. Look at that plug on Facebook and Instagram at Parents Proud Podcast. And you can email us. By God, email us. ParentsProudPodcast at gmail.com. That's prayer proud. Ba, 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 ba. Try that again. ParentsProudPodcast at gmail.com. My thanks to Griffin McCorgle, the uh, co- uh, the writer of the book, The Complete Book of the Zodiac. Great book, Griffin. All right. I'm going to see you guys next time with actor Chloe Baldwin. See you then. See you then.